This is Sissy Jones, the voice of Fury in Darksiders 3. Be a dear, won't you? And listen to the Xbox expansion pass. You don't want to be on the receiving end of my whip. <laughs> now go. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 93 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, August 1st, 2021. I'm your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, I'm joined by guest co-host Ainsley Bowden of Season Gaming to discuss the monster week of Xbox launches, including The Ascent, Microsoft Flight Simulator, and the much-touted Halo Infinite Beta. After that, we'll chat with the two-man team at Acid Nerve about their latest critical hit, Death's Door. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse, as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, my gaming week has been made better by the people behind 343's Halo Infinite beta. I am not playing it. I have someone here who is. But the amount of joy I am seeing taking place on my socials and timelines leads me to just give the heartiest of shout outs to 343 and the people working over this past weekend. Joining me to talk about that, though, is one of my hosts from Cast Co-op the host of Season Gaming Spitcast, and all-around big brother to all of us, Mr. Ainsley Bowden. What's up, what's, buddy? What's going on, dude? I've got to shake this big brother title somehow. I'm not sure how, but... Um, St- yeah. Stop being so nice. <laughs> stop being so helpful. No, I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, it's been um, it's been busy. Uh, I got back from vacation, and I had to review Ascent. I've been playing a ridiculous amount of Halo over the past few days, um, but which is all good stuff, right? So uh, busy, but good. That's awesome, man. Also, back from vacation myself. Uh, getting uh, getting back from Disney was really cool. Went to did, did a bunch of Star Wars stuff, which was awesome. I saw you were doing some Whitewater Rapids, yeah, uh, out there in Colorado. So, uh, trying to catch in a break while we can, I suppose. And then, uh, like you, coming back to the smorgasbord of topics that we have to talk about: the Halo Infinite beta, the Ascent, Death's Door, uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. For those that are interested, yeah. uh, pretty pretty good time to be a a gamer an xbox gamer specifically at that um but let's talk 343 let's talk halo infinite that is the buzz of the town uh i you've not been on xcp before i know i I was gonna remind you but you know i'm glad you you've (laughs) self-recognized the issue here but you know well, I had to change the format to get content creators in. You know, that only took place but so long ago. But nonetheless, uh, you and I, for, that anybody who, who listens to Cast Co-op or, or BitCast would know, you and I are both very hardcore Halo fans. But I would say we are Halo fans of a very different ilk. What we are into does not necessarily line up uh, exactly the same way. When I listen to you talk about this Halo Infinite beta on the most recent BitCast, you are talking about the names of Halo maps, the the uh, way that each particular weapon feels, how a sprint dodge is different than a slide, and this, that. You're, you're so particular into the multiplayer, whereas I tend to immerse myself into the lore. Uh, 
all that appropriate, I suppose. But that's why I wanted to have you here. You've been playing this Halo Infinite beta over a hundred matches against bots, which is interesting. Yeah, I haven't played today yet. Come. How you feeling? How you feeling? Yeah, man, it's uh, it's special. It is special. Um, I, as you you listened earlier today, me and Travis both kind of you know went on for I think like forty five minutes on our show just about the Halo Infinite beta. Um, so I think. I can answer any questions or any specific kind of aspects of it that you'd like to. I, I think at the very highest level, what I can say is uh, two things. One, the expectations and the the uh, you know the weight of those expectations that three four three has on them for this game are are, are incredible. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can't think of another developer, at, honestly, across the industry at a moment that has such high expectations from its fan base for what this game has to deliver. Mm-hmm. I also, you know, if you're part of Halo community and you've been around a while, you kind of know that Halo fans can be fickle. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a wide breadth of fans that view Halo as very special to them in very different ways. And you rarely see the vast majority of Halo fans come together to agree on the multiplayer. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of debate as to what should be what way and how you move and what should be this and that. Um, seeing how the communities come together around this game and the utter joy that people are expressing uh, after having played it for the past couple days is, I, I think, speaks volumes. I think that pretty much tells the story of how well 343 has nailed it so far. And keeping in mind, of course, we've literally been playing, until last night, we were playing on two maps against bots only. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a absolutely incredible small slice of this game, and yet, I mean, people are just over the moon and cannot stop playing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's incredible. It's odd to me and exciting to me because you, I fully agree with you that that very few studios, if any, have had the expectations uh, put on them that three four three has had, and there's a lot of history there from the, the transition to from Bungie to trying to do their own thing with Halo Five versus Four to simply put halo disappointing a lot of people over the last decade i would say with the rise of call of duty and and several other shooters destiny kind of springs to mind there as well and it's been a fickle strange journey and this halo infinite uh launch has been rough to say the least and so to see some good news on this front i would have to think is uplifting for halo fans uplifting for the studio Uh, But I approach it with caution, to be honest with you, because having not played it myself, and there is that caveat, there is an element of oddity when I hear that only two or three maps are in rotation and that bots are in play. But it's really cool how they're handling the bots. Could you explain to listeners uh, why the the, the AI of the bots is so important? And moreover, uh, talk a little about the AI voice that accompanies you. (laughs) Yeah, the AI voices are something. Um, so let's talk about the bots for a second. So, and this is coming from both myself and some of what 343 has said, because as you as you know, right, I am deep into the multiplayer. I watch all of the streams, read all the updates, uh, know the developers by name. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. a, a lot of the information on the bots has been said from 343 to be because uh, the reason they specifically wanted to test initially with bots is one, uh, just server infrastructure and matchmaking. Um, because mm-hmm. testing matchmaking and server capacity is easy easier when you have 
one team, if you will, that is uh, computerized, right? You're, you're just matching people together on the same team. So that's the mm-hmm. very first test you're getting of the, inf- uh, the infrastructure on the server side. So that's, <clears throat> that's the technical reason, but there, it goes a lot deeper than that because the bots are, um, they vary in difficulty. They, they've described them as having four difficulties. And if you know the Halo ranking system, it's very similar to other competitive game ranking systems, which is like bronze, silver, gold, platinum, diamond, onyx, champion. That's how Halo's, Halo 5's was anyway. And so what they've done is they've created bots that are supposed to replicate the experience of playing against silver players, or excuse me, bronze, silver, gold, and platinum players. Uh, and the reason this is important, again, is because, expanding upon it, is that Halo is a much deeper shooter than your most point-and-click games. And I you know, I always kind of point at COD, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way about Call of Duty, but it's just so popular and it's the easiest one to kind of reference because people know it so well. Mm-hmm. Um, the mechanics in Halo are much deeper, and the skill gap is much broader in Halo because of it than a game like Call of Duty. It's not as easy to pick up and play and do well. Uh, And because of that, what 343 is doing specifically in Halo Infinite, knowing that it's going to be launching on PC, same time as Xbox for the first time ever, uh, and it's also going to be Game Pass, of course, and the multiplayer is free to play. So you're welcoming on day one, millions upon millions upon millions of players, right? Is It's a way to allow new players to go through a training on the weaponry and the mechanics with bots, which kind of warm them up to the competitive nature of Halo multiplayer. Um, Because what you've seen in the past is people will try to pick up Halo multiplayer. They'll enter it like it's any other shooter. They will, uh, for lack of a better phrase, get crushed. Um, And then they put the game down because they just, there's no other way to learn it currently, right? You either jump in, if you're by yourself and want to learn Halo, you have to jump into matchmaking. You have no choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's tough. It really is. Um, so that's why the bots are important. And I think they wanted to, one, see the skill gaps, skill level, how the bots perform against real players in the wild, uh, but also, you know, make sure matchmaking and everything else behind the scenes worked. Right. So that's a little long-winded, but there's context there that's important. All, so. all signs point to to those things turning out pretty well, apart from a little bit of a server issue on day one. Things cleaned yeah. up quite well. And and to be clear, I expect server issue on day one of any major game, beta or otherwise, uh, when its online infrastructure is being tested. That seems to make sense to me. That, yeah, I mean, there were some connection issues day one, but that was as they were rolling it out night one, really. It wasn't even the whole day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple weird bugs that they already knew about ahead of time. But for the most part, once you get into a match, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, works 90 eight percent of the time there's this weird bug with four player teams instead of three two or one which is strange but once you're in uh it plays fantastic i've had very mm-hmm. little issue um you you mentioned the ai voice uh and i could spend a lot of time on this i won't i promise but what it is essentially is uh you know you play the halo campaign you have cortana um and it's kind of this ai partner with you at all times who comments on surroundings comments on story beats things like that they've kind of translated that to multiplayer um and so there's going to be a range of different personalities. Each has their own personality. I don't know how many, and you currently can't select. You get randomized one when you start a match. Um, 
you will be able to select it in, you know, once the game launches. But what it does is it's it's both uh, informational and kind of uh, adds levity or, or kind of comedy to the match because it'll say things like uh, when power weapons are coming in, it'll comment on, uh, you know, if there's enemies, uh, you know, you're being shot from a certain direction. It'll comment on when you're halfway to winning or close to winning, you know, kind of informational things for the match. Mm-hmm. But simultaneously, it's it'll comment on things you're doing, you know, like if you if you snipe someone with an, a clean shot, it'll some of them will make a funny comment uh, about it being a beautiful headshot. It makes references to Halo lore and, and Halo uh, classic uh, phrases. For instance, uh, I saw a clip earlier where someone killed someone with a needler and the, the AI said, fear the pink mist, you know, uh, and, classic. Um, classic. yeah, and there's just there's things like that. And, and, and there's far more than I expected. Uh, I have heard a, just a wealth of phrases from these AIs over the past couple of days. And so many times I just find myself laughing like mid game, you know, I'm like, Oh, that's just great. You know? And, mm-hmm. and the fact that you'll be able to make this part of you, your Spartan in multiplayer is really unique. Cause I was trying to think, is there any other game that kind of performs this way where it feels like you have an AI companion on the battlefield? And I, I couldn't come up with one. So mm-hmm. uh, not to this degree. So uh, it's really interesting, and, and I think a very neat addition that 343 is going to capitalize on. As a lore junkie, it makes me really happy to hear that because the entire premise of those AIs is that it solves problems before the, the Spartan can think it. You know, it, it, it gives them information before they need it, that kind of stuff. So I, And they build a relationship between the Spartan and the computer, so I like to hear that. Uh, yeah, and I, well. I have to imagine, right? They're gonna, they're gonna. When I say capitalize on what I mean is they're gonna have a range that are available at launch, and you mm-hmm. can get to know them here. That they all say different things, and then, um, you know, I have to imagine they're gonna do kind of. Uh, they'll probably eventually sell a Cortana one or the Yip Yap mm-hmm. one from Halo Five, and you know, all right. these different ones, mend- mendicant vi- uh, bias, bias. And, uh, uh, you know, all these different ones over time. I would love to see a um, guilty spark one. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. all kinds of different ones would be just so fun because it's it's fun for players but it's it's that extra layer of fun for true i won't say true halo fans that's not fair but the people who are really sure. hardcore halo fans sure and, and this game that summarizes this entire game it's like it's somehow easier to pick up and play than past halos but at the same time deeper and uh, kind of going to be more competitive while mm-hmm. also capitalizing on being a Halo kind of hardcore fans dream with other aspects. It's it's I don't know how they did it. That is how it's supposed to be when you've got 20 years to iterate and complete and fix <laughs> right. it. It's supposed to be that way. It doesn't always end up that way. We've seen franchises go delve so deep into the niche that they are unrecognizable and they need kind of a return to form as it were. I'm thinking about Mortal Kombat in that sense, right? I mean, they had a really big That's a great return comparison. to form. Great uh, comparison. And, and that's really neat. And then I want to go back to this idea of selling voices because <laughs> Halo Infinite's multiplayer will be free to play. The campaign will be available to Game Pass subscribers across a number of platforms. Uh, and I'm the guy who's spending money on skins in a free-to-play Fortnite, skins in Marvel's Avengers, uh, and will absolutely be buying voices. That's how they're going to fund this. And I think that is a good and bad thing. Uh, mostly good, I would argue, because there's a lot of choice in that. Moreover, it it couples very well with the recent arguments made by Sean Layden about how you... Uh, Sean Layden of, of previous PlayStation fame about how an economic model uh, of a subscription service for single player games may not be supported 
uh, when you have a $120 million AAA title. That may just not work. Um, I like this method of monetization because the rec packs in Halo 5 were a really cool idea. They make a lot of money off of them, but they were a little difficult for people to understand en masse. It's a lot easier to understand just by the voice or, or whatnot. So Yeah. And I think it, it's in a constant state of evolution, that methodology, right? How you approach uh, uh, engagement with a game versus monetization and funding. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Sean Layden's comments aside, um, I think that uh, this they're doing a lot of things right here. Um, mm-hmm. Halo 5's was confusing. Uh, they did push the boundaries a bit uh, with Halo 5, though, and I like that 343 does that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there was no season pass in Halo 5. It sounds crazy mm-hmm. now, six years later. But when they first announced Halo 5 would get all the maps for free when every other game was uh, selling map packs, uh, that was a big deal. And I think, you know, Halo going free to play on multiplayer side in particular uh, is notable. And the fact that, uh, you know, like the battle passes they announced, right, the seasons, uh, they'll never expire. Once you own one, you can unlock the content in it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, another kind of nuance to that is there's a, um, a level zero battle pass in the beta or the technical preview. And what they showed is, is that at most battle passes are like say a hundred tracks, right? Like call of duty mm-hmm. or rocket league. And then sure. there's a free track, a pay track and the free track only unlocks something like every 10 levels, whereas right. the pay track gets something constantly. Um, what halo is doing is they're unlocking one thing for the free track and one thing for the pay track every level. So even if you're not paid, you're still constantly unlocking new content, which is pretty cool. That's really cool. And I think they've learned a bit from, I'll equate it to their Sea of Thieves plunder passes, which are very similar. They have tracks. You have a lot of free stuff. You have a lot of uh, perks you get if you pay. But I think what I've enjoyed most about Microsoft's kind of last five years is their learning of how to monetize without being predatory and how it can pay off. Uh, we're seeing it in a couple of their games. I'm very curious to know how Forza Horizon 5 will implement uh, hmm. microtransactions on some level. Um, but I'm so encouraged by what I hear from Halo Infinite's uh, methodology. I'm encouraged by what I see from Sea of Thieves uh, and, and from the lessons learned from previous Halos as well. Um, there is one other aspect of Halo I want to touch on before we hit a listener question. Uh, and that is uh, weapon design and sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of coupled into one, if you don't mind, because I don't want to talk forever about it. But... I remember when ZeniMax was acquired by Microsoft, people were thinking that Halo Infinite was in a dire state. This is before we had any of the, the bigger updates. And we we were all kind of spitting out, I wonder if id Software can help them with their weapons. <laughs> um, putting to rest those concerns, it looks like. Yeah, I think uh, I think Bethesda and uh, id Software can now go to 343 for some help. Um, Ooh, big praise. It's, uh, it's incredible. So you combine two big aspects there of my love for Halo is one weapon mechanics, uh, but also weapon sound. And what I said earlier is one of the great things about Halo, at least in my opinion, is the unique weaponry, right? And the what it creates on the battlefield, which are very different interactions from one moment to the next. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas other shooters, you you spawn, you have a machine gun, you run, you point, you shoot, you die, repeat, right? Very similar behavior every life. It's my favorite part hey, of Call of Duty. Uh, Yeah, and I I said I don't like to pick on Call of Duty, but it's just a fact, right? Call of Duty has plenty of good attributes, but it's one of the things it does is weapon variety and the way in which kill times vary or interactions vary per encounter is not one of them. Um, Mm -hmm. It's very similar from one moment to the next. Uh, Whereas Halo, there's a lot of calculation that goes in, uh, especially as you get higher on the competitive side around 
what weapon am I holding? What mm-hmm. weapon is the is the Spartan in front of me holding or around the corner holding? And what does the environment do to that weaponry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so weapon feel and mechanics are very important in Halo, incredibly important. And so, mm-hmm. you know, down to the degree of like, you know, when I first picked up the plasma pistol, I charged it. Okay, what's that sound like? Oh, okay, it sounds good, you know. Uh, is it mm-hmm. counting a timer down on the charge? Yep, it is, okay. Um, now, how far does it track? You know, so I shot, started shooting plasma pistols at the bots uh, to see how how much curve the bolt had, right? To see how much it would track players, and it's a lot less. So okay. it, it only tracks very slightly in Halo Five. Or see, this is how you think differently of Halo Ains. I would have. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna shoot plasma pistol. It's cool. <laughs> and Needler, right? Immediately, I noticed. Wow, Needler shoots fast. Okay, well, mm-hmm. what's the range on it? Do the needles drop off? Like, do you have to be really close to get that explosion? The super combine? Can you get it from far? All these different mechanics, like you said, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I can say the the weapons feel like they're in a really, really good place already. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a pretty broad, it's not all the weapons, but I'd say it's a, a good, healthy majority in these three maps, uh, including the rocket launcher, the hammer, uh, you know, obviously the battle rifle is a huge thing. Um, the the, the uh, new starting pistol called the sidekick, very important, and they just feel excellent the sidekick is amazing the battle rifle feels glorious uh rockets feel like they should the hammer feels like you're swinging a building i mean it's so huge and momentum based and when it Mm -hmm. hits you feel like the whole screen's exploding you know um it's just really really neat uh in terms of sounds um it's it's one of the aspects i always focus on i think you know i'm a big sound guy playing a home Mm -hmm. theater you know, really, not really high end, but a high end setup. And so I was really listening uh, and you can go into like the weapon drills too, to really just hear the the sounds individually. And uh, it's just, it's, you know, I'm like gushing. It, it's really, really good. Uh, as simple as I can make it. Like the battle rifle has this three round burst. That's just, it's chunky and meaty and it like echoes, everything echoes off the buildings around you or where you are in the environment. You know, you play on Recharge, which is the indoor map you've been seeing with the really nice lighting and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the weapon sounds, you know, the echo and the, the, the bullets as they travel in the distance sound different than they do on the first map, which is outdoors. Um, there's just a lot of detail that sound like that. And, you know, if you've seen clips of uh, the sniper, just li- turn up the sound and listen in. I mean, it's just it's remarkable how distinct and uh, and, uh, you know, just good i keep saying good uh, the sound design is it's 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 awesome i think there's a lot to look forward to uh, for diehard halo fans and a lot to look forward to for how casual fans react to it moreover it'll be interesting to see just how this beta uh is received once players are able to play against each other because right now everyone's experiencing success uh, <laughs> yes. on a pretty big level at least most people you know most people are the pair of those yeah, we, can be pretty we haven't rough lost the match yet uh in fact i I got to be honest with you. Uh, it has, and I'm not humble brag. It hasn't been uh, even close. Um, I think the closest it's been, honestly, is like 50 to on a bad match, like 50 to 30. So they are supposedly rolling out the Spartan level bots today. And then hopefully they said tonight, as we record this at the end of the preview, they're going to unleash uh, actual four on four competitive. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Okay. All I'm right. looking forward to that tonight. Got the Red Bull ready. 
So, so the the bias part of my mind is saying, all right, y'all have been just happy because you're winning nonstop. I want to I want to hear how <laughs> Halo Beta fans are feeling after they start getting wrecked. That's what I want to know. Some people are gonna are gonna uh, learn a lesson tonight. Yeah, I believe you. Now we did have a question from Todd Oxtra about this beta, and one that I think is very poignant for uh, a lot of people that might be jumping into Halo Infinite when it goes free to play later this year uh, for multiplayer. He says. Myself and my son tried the Halo Infinite flight this weekend. Neither of us are enamored with Halo multiplayer, and the flight didn't change our opinion. Do you think there will be new modes or PvE to sway any new or disenchanted Halo fans? I'm going to go first on this one. Uh, Todd, there's always been PvE by way of Firefight. Well, not always, but for the majority of the time, Firefight's been in there uh, one way or another. They kind of modified that with Warzone. Uh, in Halo 5, but there are plenty of PvE modes they could call upon there. Um, if the flight didn't change your opinion, though, you might just not like Halo. If you've never really been enamored with multiplayer and what is seemingly the best version of it thus far hasn't changed your opinion, you might just not like multiplayer, and that's okay, too. Um, but let's wait to see what that campaign holds. Uh, Ains, what's your take on, on that uh, question? Yeah, I think you're probably right there. I mean, there's, you know, uh, there's, there's plenty of games that uh, of millions of people love that I don't like. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just, you know, there's personal opinion there. If if you've tried this on the multiplayer side, it still hasn't swayed you. Um, then by all means, see what PvE modes it offers. As Luke said, Firefight is uh, has been an option for years now. Um, whether or not that'll continue on day one, we're not sure yet because we don't know the full scope of what Halo, Halo Infinite's going to have. But uh, also, as you mentioned, Luke, um, the campaign should offer a bigger sandbox for kind of co-op play split screen play and fun than it has in the past being open world too so that may be another option right agreed and and todd remember there's a lot to play this this holiday this fall i mean battlefield call of duty crossfire x back for blood uh aliens fire team there's a lot of ways to play pve style games uh somehow some way so maybe give it a go in back for blood or, or aliens fire team i know i'm excited for those games um Ains, let's look at some of the other recent releases. A lot of Xbox players have been picking up Microsoft Flight Simulator or The Ascent. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Death Store as well before we transition to that interview with the team. Uh, you reviewed The Ascent. You gave it a 7 because you hated it. Um, I played a <laughs> few minutes uh, of The Ascent. Was not overly thrilled, but I gave, it a, I gave it like 20 minutes when I had to go to the bathroom, and that's not a fair way to look at a game there the game's gorgeous seems to sound really good Mm -hmm. uh cyberpunk twin stick aesthetic uh a lot of people were comparing this to diablo i'm not sure that's actually the case uh you reviewed it where are you standing on it overall yeah um so it's it's always funny when you see a game that either uh you know people think reviews some people let me clarify people uh, think that reviews need to validate their opinion. And I wish people would stop looking at reviews that way. Um, if you're being an honest reviewer, you're looking at something with a critical eye. Um, you know, you, you've got to take into account all things. And I think Ascent is a good game. Let's not forget a seven is a good score. And I, I you know, we talk about this on other casts. I know, uh, Luke, that for some reason, the whole industry and the, the gaming community feels like if it's not over an eight, it's not worth playing. You know what I mean? And, it, and that's mm-hmm. just not the case. Uh, we, we season gaming, we try to use the entire scale uh, as, as much as possible. Even at times, if we've been guilty, you know, of going too high on some things, 
Um, I'm sure. Would you go have, too high on recently? You give a nine again? to something. Would you go too high on recently? You give a nine to <laughs> a little game called Bio Mutant. Yeah, well, that Which was you, I will right? continue to defend. I will have that debate with anyone at any time. Um, but um, yeah, in the case of the Ascent, um, I played it uh, a lot. It's a supposedly a 15-hour game. I have almost 30 hours into it. Played it on PC and Xbox. Finished it obviously. Um, you know, spent a lot of time with it. It's a good game. It is a good game. It is stunningly gorgeous. I mean, the, the colors and the level design are, are staggering. The explosions, the particle effects, moment-to-moment action, really, really fun. Uh, the combat's good. You know, I, I think there's some, you know, there's some things they could have done, but I think the abilities and, and, you know, other things, the guns, the weaponry, really well done. Where it really suffers, in my opinion, is they advertised it as an ARPG kind of loot-based game. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Uh, it's just not. Uh the, the only people, I don't mean this in a, in a negative sense, but, you know, if you have any experience uh, with really kind of deeper ARPGs, and by that I do mean Diablo, by that Path of Exile, you know, those types of games where you're looting constantly and min-maxing builds to overcome bigger challenges, this game just doesn't have that. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it has about 25 guns, and the stats are completely fixed, meaning mm-hmm. that... Once you find a gun once, you know, like there was a gun called the Enforcer, you find it once, the next hundred plus times you'll find it, and you will, uh, it's the exact same stats. There's no difference. Uh, uh, Armor's the same way. Abilities are the same way. And because they're also kind of limited, it really makes uh, the loot grind very boring. There's not much to it. And then vice versa, that creates this vicious, vicious circle because you earn a lot of money you can buy all the gun, 99% or 95% of the guns, armor, and abilities as well. So if you buy them, then there's nothing to loot. So mm-hmm. it's this weird kind of vicious circle of design, and I put that in my review. And then also the story isn't isn't great. It's pretty forgettable. You don't feel emotionally mm-hmm. invested in it at all. It's, you know, there's nothing that really kind of goes crazy in the story. And your character, you create your character, um, but it's really emotionless. You have uh, no dialogue. You have you in every cutscene. You just kind of stand there, nod, and walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, you have no uh, dialogue options. You have no kind of emotions or animations either for your character. So you don't feel invested in your character or kind of the story. Which those are two big things in an ARPG. You're talking about loot and story. That's a problem. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, so, go ahead. is it fun? Is it fun? It's fun to play, um, but I, I just became kind of. Um, you put five to 10 hours in it, right? You, mm-hmm. You've seen it all. Everything uh, you do okay. for the rest of the game is going to be the same. There's, and how long is the game projected to take? Um, 15 to 20 hours. If you do uh, more of the side stuff, you're looking at, you know, probably I did most of the side stuff as well as the full game. And I put realistically just about 25. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had Man. some pretty bad bugs as well. That really frustrated me. I had a, uh, some missions, for instance, where I had to finish, um, you know, you have to like do something while you're being attacked. But to finish the mission, you have to kill all the enemies. Percentage of the enemies would be completely invincible. You couldn't kill them. Mm. Um, so you couldn't finish the mission. So I'd have to reload the game, start over. And day one patch on PC fixed some of that, but not all of it. And the mm-hmm. sad thing is, as of this recording, the day one patch is still not out on Xbox. It's not okay. Yeah. It's so okay. Uh, the, if you. Again, you see people who have put a, a couple hours into it and they say this is a nine and a half game of the year, 10. Um, yeah, just be a little more cautious. Uh, I would definitely read some some opinions of people who have played it for a very long extended period of time. And yeah, 
a little deeper. Right. Yeah. No. It, so box quote from Ainsley Bowden. It's no biomutant. <laughs> no, it's definitely not a biomutant. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So the ascent one that I and listeners, I'm talking to you guys on this one. I am going to play more of. But simply put, I did not uh, get to it because I was so invested in finishing Death's Door, which mm. is, I would argue, one of the best games of the year. Um, I absolutely love and adore this game from Acid Nerve. Uh, again, we will be, I'll be on the backside of this episode with Ains. Will be an interview with Acid Nerve, uh, both Mark Foster and uh, David Fenn about it uh, to talk about what they did to make it. But I love this game Ains. it's a pc con- a pc xbox exclusive not on game pass uh, i know you've played through at least the first boss there are three major bosses uh leading to the final boss this is a zelda like top down with some dark souls influence which is an overused phrase um but i am just enamored with the art the music everything i'm seeing in this this is a great video game yeah I um so I got home from vacation and I the uh, cloud who people in the community know reviewed it for us at, at season gaming and he gave it a nine and it's the first game he's given a nine he's reviewed quite a few games for us um, mm-hmm. and so you know I started to see other reviewers as well and I said okay I got to check this out so I picked it up immediately as soon as I got home I did play it I'm I'm actually just getting to the um, the frog king or the second boss the big boss. Okay. Cool. So I'm about, what, 50% maybe because I've gone yes. through this whole area. Depending on how you go through the game, yes. Yeah, So, um, but then I got the Ascent to review, then Halo came out, so I, I sure. haven't gotten back to it. But I completely agree with you. I, It's beautiful. Uh, it's designed well. Music is excellent. Uh, writing is good so far. Um, you know, the, the abilities in the combat feel good. It just, it, it's a very, very good game so far. One of the things I like about Death Store most is it, it does that Metroid-esque thing where it treats you to seeing things that you can know, can't access right away. Yep. And the game will lead you back to those places uh, that you need for story. But if you choose to go exploring, you'll find a number of different uh, unlockables, perks, things to upgrade your, your character, which is an adorable uh, little crow. I was incorrectly <laughs> thinking of it as a raven uh, at first. but How it's a dare crow. you, sir? I know, God forbid. Uh, but it was a really, really cool thing. I love the combat. There are a couple different weapons that you can discover and use. Uh, anything from a charming little umbrella, which has half the damage, thus making the game more difficult, uh, through to an electric hammer, which I'm really into. Um, you can find these shrines to, to augment your magic uh, and a couple different types of magic. And then each magic has its own upgrade. And these boss battles reminded me of games like Fury. Uh, or or top-down versions of, of certain Dark Souls-style enemies because you have to learn their patterns in order to beat them. There's also a simplicity to the combat. It really is dodge and hit, dodge and hit. And I appreciated that simplicity. That was something I enjoyed uh, tremendously. When you look at Death's Door, you'll see, you'll see this art style that is uh, contrasting because there are certain parts of the game that are entirely in grayscale, black and white, uh, and then others that are brilliantly illuminated, the glow with different effects, particle uh, effects have, have certain pre-rendered backgrounds. And uh, I, I really feel like this is a treat and one that caught a lot of people off guard. I expected people to be talking about the Ascent and Flight Simulator, but my timeline was filled with Death Door. Yes. Yeah. And I think uh, 
Yeah, for good reason. I mean, we, we've kind of said it, right? This is a it's a surprise, excellent hit. Um, kind of even more shocking when you realize the development team, right? And how mm-hmm. to really two core people, which you're going to be speaking with, which is fantastic. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a, yeah, it's an excellent game. And I think it's really neat, in my opinion, to see more smaller titles. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all. Uh, but just kind of indie titles, smaller development teams and studios hitting the limelight with games like this, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's really neat for games like this to take over a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen uh, Splitgate, you know, from a multiplayer side, just blowing up. Death's Door has done extremely well. Um, Ascent is still doing extremely well. You know, that's only a 12-person team in their first game as well at Neon Giant. So it's, it's, it's awesome, man. Great time to be a gamer. Box quote from me, uh, Death Store, it's a damn good video game. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's, that's, that's your box formal quote. review. That's right. Formal review right there. That's how we do it on XCP. Um, Ains, before we get you out of here, I really liked this question that Famous Seamus wrote in. And Famous. I think it's really just appropriate given uh, what's kind of happening throughout this year. Famous Seamus says, with Horizon Forbidden West reportedly delayed till 2022, and I believe it has been confirmed, um, I would believe it has. He says it, it hasn't been confirmed by PlayStation yet, um, oh, but multiple okay. kind of you know reliable sources have said yes, this is delayed. Grub, Schreier, and the like, yeah. that kind of thing. Okay, so he says with For- Horizon Forbidden West reportedly delayed to 2022, how do you think the Xbox will use the delay to their advantage? Also, are you nervous of games you're looking forward to near the end of the year getting delayed? Um, Ains, I'm going to take the first part of this first. Uh, how do I think they will use the delay to their advantage? Well, in this holiday, unlike previous ones, Xbox is going to have two major exclusives in Halo Infinite and Forza Horizon 5 uh, that should land the limelight with very little exclusive competition. The only uh, competition might be... Nope, Skyward Sword's already up. They're, yeah, that'll that'll be it. They'll be the, the talking point for exclusive games uh, in this year. And I think that Nintendo and PlayStation will be leaning on third parties. That's great in and of itself. But PlayStation uh, and, and Nintendo do not have the momentum that Xbox currently has riding this wave that we're just starting of uh, an exclusive game a month for six months. I mean, that's a really cool thing that, that's kind of happening right now. And it's a rare thing to be happening with. I'm going to sneeze. Oh, God, I'm muted. That's the first time I've ever sneezed during an XCP. <laughs> I've never sneezed during an XCP. Here we are, famous. Um, wherever I was, I lost it. Ains, what do you think? <laughs> God, never sneezed during XCP. Yeah, I think that um, you know PlayStation's going to have to do what they do well is really capitalize on marketing and uh, using their third party support. Um, not that Xbox doesn't have third party support, right? But PlayStation will find a way. They have Deathloop in September, um, and then they'll find a way, you know, to kind of push on uh, third parties for for that. But I think Xbox can, can capitalize a bit here because as I sat back the other day and kind of wrote up the story about Horizon when it was reported, um, you know, what had occurred to me is, is that Xbox uh, is very strong in the second half of the year, uh, extremely strong. We have Flight Sim, which is being, you know, at least anecdotally, much more widely played than I thought it would be <laughs> from a console perspective. It seems like people are really enjoying it. Uh, you've got Death's Door making the rounds right now. You've got Ascent making the rounds. And then, you know, you've got um, 
Psychonauts 2 coming out, which by all accounts, uh, you know, originally the sequel would have been what I call a niche game for people like me who adored the original. But I think with the time and money that's been invested into it and from what we've seen of it, this has the capability to be a top tier uh, you know, kind of uh, industry game. Do you know what I mean? I, I What we're seeing of this game looks incredible. Uh, that's mm-hmm. in August, and that's before you even get into things like um, Forza Horizon 5, which is going to be an obvious showcase. And then without a doubt, Halo Infinite's the biggest exclusive, you know, of the year. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the fall for Xbox is huge. I think they're going. you're going to see a huge marketing push towards September, October timeframe. Mm-hmm. which is going to push into Forza Horizon 5 and Halo Infinite for the fall and the holidays, mm-hmm. uh, really pushing, pushing, pushing Game Pass. Yeah. And I think you're going to see a, a massive push to Game Pass this year. And I think my belief is it's going to work because, mm-hmm. you know, we know the Series X and Series S are well-selling consoles. A lot of these games are still supported on the older Xboxes. It's really all just about connectivity now. And I think anyone who hasn't tried out Game Pass already uh, will be very, very tempted with these games that are coming. Let's remember, uh, also famous and anybody else, that PlayStation has launched two exclusives since the PlayStation 5 came out that are exclusive just to its PS5, Returnal and uh, Ratchet and & Clank. And both are very good video games. One sold ex- pretty darn well. Uh, Returnal, I think, disappointed for the numbers that, that they were hoping for, but the game itself is fantastic. Um, and that's a marketably different approach than Xbox has been able to take. And I think pandemic has absolutely shifted around a lot of re- release dates. It will be really interesting to see what Xbox has in 2022, because I don't know what they're going to put in that front half of 2022 that might land in competition with horizon forbidden West. Um, but 2022 looks like an incredible year for PlayStation. You know, I mean, you have to make the assumption that Ragnarok is going to be there. You now know that Horizon Forbidden West will be there. That's a big year. Those are two very big video games. That's the equivalent of launching a, a Gears and a Halo in the same year yeah. uh, in many ways. So yeah, two I, of their I'm, biggest games, no doubt. Yeah. And, I, and so I'm thrilled to see the competition keep going because if the all the units are selling out for all the systems and we're getting games like this, uh, I, I'm there for it um, for sure. Now, the, the second part of his question, are, are we nervous of any games that we're looking forward to at the end of the year being delayed? Um, I have my thoughts on this one, Ains. Why don't you take this one first? Is there anything you're nervous about? No. Um, <laughs> and, and it's a clean, clear answer simply because my fall and holiday and through the new year will be Halo. Um, I'm just yeah. that kind of person. Halo will dominate everything for me. I will be playing a lot of Battlefield as well. Uh, and I will be playing a lot of Forza as well. Um, mm-hmm. But overwhelmingly, I think all three of those games are absolutely launching, right, as we expect. Mm-hmm. And so my fall is set. In fact, all jokes aside, I, I love Horizon uh, Zero Dawn. I'm hugely excited for Forbidden West on the PS5. Um, but I, I I like the delay because mm-hmm. now one of my favorite kind of open world PlayStation experiences, uh, I don't have to compete with Halo, right. uh, which is great. Uh, get out of Halo's way. Uh, it, it just helps me. <laughs> that is obnoxiously in line with what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> it's difficult for me to to, to modify it. Uh, the only thing that I would caveat or, or add to that is uh, I did not get into the Halo Infinite beta, Famous Seamus, and I was not bothered one bit because I had so many games that I wanted to play. 
right now. Not needed to, but wanted to play. I wanted to finish Death's Door. I just started a cool indie game called Skydrift Infinity, of all things, right? I'm really enjoying uh, playing through Avengers on this 4XP weekend and a few other just games there. There's so much coming this fall from from Aliens Fireteam kind of at the end of the summer. Is it Back for Blood? I'm really excited for Battlefield. Really excited for Halo. Forza Horizon, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, it is is easy for me to to know that w- with Halo Infinite not getting a delay, I'm not nervous about anything, man. I, I, you could drop any other game other than Halo, and I wouldn't worry one bit, and, and we know Halo's coming. There's just so much to play right now. Um, and, and as I said in last week's episode, with all the, the ridiculousness of Activision right now, who needs them? Like, who needs them? Uh, nobody no there's so many great titles to to experience at the moment Um, you know you make a great point Logan. i don't want to take us off topic but you know we already thought that call of duty was going to take a hit this year um for a couple reasons right one halo and battlefield are launching uh what looked to be in their prime for the first time together in many years right Mm -hmm. uh but also on top of that the call of duty development cycle has been um hurt they're, right. they're not on their right development cycle. In fact, this they've never gone this late into a year without showing what's coming from Call of Duty in the fall, so, which right. goes to show you there's a there's a problem there. So combine that with everything that's come out about Activision, I think Call of Duty might be in a, a pretty poor spot this year. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested to know if they bump to early 2022. Uh, that would I be don't something. see that happening, but it would be something. It would be something. Uh, for sure. Uh, and it, once again, one more time, I said it in last week's episode, and I'll say it as many times as I need to. My heart and support goes out to those who were affected by the ridiculous harassment uh, that was taking place at Activision. There is no place for that in the industry. Call it out whenever you see it. That is the responsibility of privilege uh, to make sure that it does not happen to anyone or everyone around you. Uh, Ainsley Bowden, but I think it's time for us to to shut it down and send these amazing people over to uh, my interview with Mark Foster and David Fenn of Acid Nerve, developers of Death's Door. Uh, I would really appreciate if you would be so kind as to let people know where to find you on the socials uh, and where they can be listening to more of your content. Yeah, so thanks for coming on. Or thanks for coming on. Thank, hey, thank you I got for you having on mine this time. Thank you for having me on. Uh, see how used to saying that I am. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, no, it's been, it's been fun. Always down to talk, uh, Xbox, Halo, everything. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you can find me as Ains. It's a unique name. Um, it's what I go by now on, on Twitter where, you know, I primarily am every day and obviously just seasongaming.com. Um, everything you, you want can find there about the site, our podcast, which is now live on Sunday mornings. Um, you can find articles, videos, uh, podcasts, news, you know, all kinds of things. So, uh, stop by there, say hi. And, uh, you know, if you haven't checked us out previously, it's a really, really positive gaming community that covers all platforms. Um, And uh, you're very welcome to come by. So thank you. And uh, yeah, thanks again. And for anybody that does not know, you can find Ains and I together on Cast Co-op almost bi-weekly. Sometimes we move the schedule around uh, as it needs to be. It's a fun show that we do, not adhering to a super strict schedule, just enjoying uh, each other. And of course... Uh, Joseph Moran of the Trophy Room is there also. Yeah, he's there. He's there. He's there. Oh, I cannot wait to lay into him about thermal paste, which I could not care less about 
but it's good. I don't know what that is yet, but we'll 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 touch on it. Yeah, it's going to be a fun episode, guys. You can find me on Twitter at Insipid Ghost, and of course, all of your podcast services, the Xbox Expansion Pass. Uh, Keep in mind to check out the YouTube link. It's just the audio file there, but it's always appreciated if you give it a go there. Rated on iTunes. Blah 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 blah. Enjoy this incredible interview with the developers of Death Store. It is a damn good video game. Take care, everybody. Well, I am happy to share with you now and welcome to the show, David Fenn and Mark Foster of Acid Nerve here to talk about their latest release and critical hit, Death Store. David, Mark, welcome to XCP, both of you. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I am thrilled to chat with you guys about Death Store. It is catching the eyes of gamers all over the Xbox and PC space. Uh, Before we do talk Death Store, I would love it if you would share with listeners just a bit about yourselves, your career, uh, and Acid Nerve. You guys have put out some titles people might know. Indeed. So um, I'm David Fenn. I'm the producer, co-designer, composer, and sound designer at Acid Nerve. Um, I'll, I guess I'll let Mark introduce himself as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm Mark. I'm the programmer, writer, animator, and co-designer for uh, Death Store, yeah. It is great to, to have you guys on here. Uh, you guys have put out quite a few games under the, the Acid Nerve studio title. Just a two-man studio. What games have you guys uh, worked on thus far? Um, so we started we- out. Yeah, we started out with like jam games uh, originally. So the, the very first kind of thing we made together was called Leave Me Alone for uh, a Ludendare, which is like um, a 72-hour thing where you'd make a little game. And then we fleshed that out into like a full thing afterwards. And that was like the first real Acid Nerve game. But since then, we've also made Titan Souls, um, which is our first like major actual game that released on consoles. And then we made a little iOS game called Telepaint as well. So yeah, we've done a, we've done a few little things over the past few years. How long have you guys been to get working together? Good question. Um, <laughs> Leave Me Alone was 2013, so um, eight years since our first technically commercial game, and then um, later that year we started on Titan Souls, which was our first kind of PC console game. So solid eight year journey so far. That's brilliant. Is that how long you guys have been in the gaming industry, or did you work in the industry prior to that? And um, that's that's pretty much it. Like I think Titan Souls was really our start in the industry. Um, like we both actually recently quit just regular boring day jobs <laughs> to try and pursue game stuff. Um, so we were kind of in the same boat when we started out, and we just got really lucky that Devolver picked up Titan Souls when we did the jam game. Wow, so you guys were doing day jobs, working on on games in the evening, uh, for lack of a better descriptor there, uh, putting out Titan Souls, and then that leads you all the way here to Death's Door. That's quite a journey. Yeah. (laughs) Well, gents, lots of people wrote in uh, asking questions about Death's Door more than almost any other game that we've talked about here on XEP. So I'm going to be doing my best to weave player questions in throughout the interview uh, a lot of, of similar stuff here, but the first question we have is one that uh, listener Jordan Pack and I share. Uh, and Jordan says, Death Store is an impressively dense title, and given that it's just two of you, how long was the total development time of the game, and what particular aspects of it are you most proud? 
cool cool well um first of all i might should probably just mention that the team i would say uh we had three artists working with us on the game as well so possibly more accurate to say a five-person team while acid nerve is me and mark then we tend to collaborate with different artists on each one of our games um ah. so that's that's part of the explanation of how we were able to do so much um but yeah we've been working me and mark started development in 2018 start of the year um so we have been on the project for over three and a half years now um and we brought on artists later in 2018 i think to start developing like a proper art style and start churning out actual assets to put into the game as well mm-hmm Man, and was that the, sorry was that the full question well that that's a bit perfect so a three-year journey process uh through to now and working with uh, different artists to kind of help you guys through um a, a difficult question most likely is uh, of what aspects are you guys most proud with death store for me i think like the the world design and the story kind of stuff i mean i'm saying that as the guy who, who wrote it so it's a bit arrogant but like um <laughs> I, because it was a new challenge for us because like, like titan souls was more focused on these mechanical things so it was just stripped back to this one hit boss fight puzzly type thing but this game was like so much more fleshed out and it was more of a, a proper game so like having the kind of story stuff and dialogue and you know characters you can interact with was such a new thing for us which was like it was beyond anything we could have ever done before so that's the thing that i'm probably most proud about this game Brilliant, brilliant. Think, uh, David, what about you? I think um, on top of that, I would say just like the vibe of the game is something that we really kind of, um, it came organically, but looking back, we hit on something that we both really like where it is this, it's a world that has so much uniqueness and appeal where it's kind of dark and kind of morbid, but also kind of cute and kind of funny. And mm-hmm. it's just, like as a as a player it's a world that i enjoy kind of exploring um in a way where these contrasting elements do really complement each other and then on top of that as well i do think that judging from some of the things that people have really resonated with the game i think that we've done a good job of the attention to the to the little details in the game like um the classic example has been the sign that you can chop in half and then the text box displays chopped in half as well, which seems to have been more viral than any of our actual trailers or official marketing materials for the game. So I'm definitely glad that we were able to get in some of that attention to detail as well. It's funny how those little moments do go viral. Um, I won't spoil it for anybody, but there is a moment when speaking to the witch uh, when she turns around and looks at your arrival and just (laughs) says a, a quick thing to you. Um, that to me is one of my favorite moments of the game thus far. Uh, and, and it is those those little balances of a, a very serious, a tonally very serious game uh, with little bits of, of humor throughout. Uh, when you guys go through creating a game that does have such deep undertones, uh, was humor an important pillar that you considered to kind of balance things? I think the humor is definitely important for it because because it is about such like dark themes you know death and stuff so but humor kind of offsets that and makes it a bit more it takes everything a bit more light-hearted so you can you can maneuver around these dark themes but like it, it isn't a dark game i don't think it's not really it doesn't really look at anything through a negative lens too much 
And when it does, that kind of makes it more impactful in a way as well. And the, the humor stuff was like the, the most fun thing to, to make just because we could do, like we have no one telling us don't do that. It's a stupid idea. So we got to do some really weird things in it. Like the, um, the frog intro. I won't try and spoil too much about the frog intro. Um, I think the grandma intro thing that you were just talking about as well. These are things that I'm sure if you had like a big AAA game, those ideas would just get shot down immediately. But because it was just like us doing whatever we wanted, we could get the ability to be creative in that way. Well, it, it certainly stands out, I think, uh, every time there is a humor moment or whatnot. Uh, something else that, that stood out to me was the visual style of Death Door. You've got these grayscale offices that uh, offer a certain mood and tone, uh, and then you you transition very quickly into these brilliantly and richly illuminated worlds. How did you guys go about designing each of these kind of distinct, I'll call them biomes, but just areas of the world? Yeah. I think one thing that's really important for them is to put a lot of pre-production and concept work into each area. So we really would try and think about what are the themes and the moods of each area and then spend a while kind of on paper deciding what would be in them and working with our concept artist Brits to create really detailed concepts of like a really fleshed out and... um, detailed environment before really um, constructing each area. So that's certainly a big part of it. I also think um, that, like one of the things at the start of the project that like David set out was the fact he didn't want to have um, like generic kind of areas. There, there is a tiny bit of that, but like Titan Souls was a lot like, oh, here's the lava area, like the fire world, here's the ice world, that kind of thing. And we were trying to do something a bit like uh, just to go a little bit left field with it. So you've got like, the whole kind of pot type section, which is like mm-hmm. not obviously not like the done thing. Although like after that Elden Ring trailer from the other, like a month ago, like pot characters are maybe going to be uh, <laughs> the new, the new like fad of 2022 or something. <laughs> One of the things uh, I thought that was cool as you had these areas was just how much the weapons and ability stand out against those various backdrops that you have. And given that you don't have a, a, a fire and ice world specifically kind of thing, uh, it was really cool to see kind of this red glowing sword or this pulsating electric hammer. What factors did you guys uh, consider while developing the different combat elements and weapons of the game? Um, we we wanted to go with just like a fast-paced um style similar to like hyperlight drifter if you've played that that's a, a great game and the combat there is uh is just really tight and polished and we want to kind of replicate that kind of feeling and we expanded on it with um different different mechanics as well so you've got different weapons that add like different variation for the actual melee combat and then the different powers you get for the the ranged weapon through the game as well like the fireball and the hookshot and things like that so we just um we took this kind of base of something we really liked and just expanded upon it and like made it our own. There's a, a simplicity to the combat that I appreciate. Sometimes I think I get overly bogged down with systems in different games, but there's a simplicity here that uh, it has layers of depth, but it, it's easy to pick up and understand. Um, I, still, though, I have to ask the umbrella. The umbrella as a weapon that caught me off guard and made me absolutely laugh out loud. <laughs> that was, I think that was actually, 
it was supposed to be like the the spoon in Dark Souls. I think I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's like one specific Dark Souls it's in, but there's like a weapon that's just like a ladle or something like that, like for soup or something. And people have I've seen people complete the whole game with just that weapon, and it's obviously like kind of a a joke one where it doesn't do much damage or anything. So we wanted to have something like that, but also it it like has the uh, the the advantage of having some cute footage where the crow is walking around with an umbrella which is great for like trailers and stuff and then also it's kind of like um sort of like a hard mode for the game because if people want to play it with basically every every enemy has double the health compared to if you're using a sword because the umbrella is just half as powerful so it's just an added challenge for anyone who wants to go the extra mile and get the final little achievement as well yeah so- for sure I also, um, I just remember like so early on, like probably in the first six months of development, I remember Mark said, oh yeah, it'd be cool if there was like an umbrella as well. And then the crow actually opens up the umbrella um, when walking around with it and then, you know, closes off to use as a weapon. I remember just like so early on, I just had my heart set on that idea because I was like, yeah, we've (laughs) just got to do that. So it was just one of those really nice things where once we got it into the game, I was like, yes, finally, we have the umbrella. It's remarkably charming. I mean, it's remarkably charming. But uh, I love the uh, the kind of backhanded uh, implication there that if you want to really get good listeners, if you want to really, you know, say that you've beaten Death's Door, it's do it with the umbrella, one eye closed, standing on on one foot. That's how we're going to say that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, one of the listeners, Kevin Ainsworth, wrote in uh, talking about uh, some of the mortality. He said, Multiple characters have difficulty dealing with their mortality in the game. Uh, was accepting one's own mortality always planned as a major theme? I think um, that actually was. Um, like one of our really old prototypes before we'd even made this game kind of had that theme, didn't it? So um, for, a, for like long before we even started on this game, we did have a prototype called Death's Door, which had... It was kind of a different structure, but it did have some ideas relating to those themes. So they were kind of there, like in in terms of the stuff we've been working on for like from the very beginning. Why uh why a blackbird? Is that just thematically fitting for considering the death tones? Because I still love my little death hero. Yeah, the the crow thing is just uh, they they worked out to be like a perfect kind of uh, encapsulation of the whole game really because the game is this like kind of morbid thing and these crows are kind of often linked with death in some way uh, you know like the whole Edgar Allan Poe type vibe mm-hmm. um, but they're also just like adorable like little crows are cute if you watch them they're just bobbing their head around and stuff they're just kind of stupid looking funny animals and uh, that kind of like yeah that encapsulates the game perfectly because it, it is this uh kind of dark morbid thing but it's a bit stupid and funny and it doesn't really take itself too seriously as well i uh by day i, I teach english and so i noticed quite a few edgar Allan poe mm, allusion perhaps illusions intentional or otherwise and it, and it uh it definitely made me uh, raise an eyebrow in a few good ways there and uh, that brings me to a question from uh alex listener alex he says he's loving the game uh, but he's curious what other pieces of media had the biggest influences on Death's Door. Was Edgar Allan Poe one of them, or, or were other games an influence? I imagine the Edgar Allan Poe thing probably like permeates through a lot of the media that we enjoy 
indirectly. I don't know about mm-hmm. Mark, but I've never actually just sat and read any Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but like, I'm sure some of those kind of themes do to originate from there. Um, but I think I think we have loads of inspirations for sure. I think one of the things that as a team we tend to do is like really dig into all of the things that we love and all of the reasons why we love those things and channel that into our creative process. So that I w- there's like inspirations from all over the place in the game, but then there are a few that that come to the forefront, I think, which would probably be um, the most obvious one, Zelda, um, in mm-hmm. terms of the gameplay structure, and then also Ghibli in terms of the world building and Hyperlight Drifter in terms of the combat off the top of my head. Yeah, and also on top of that, like not not even just games, but like any kind of media that we've, like any tv shows and stuff we watch has kind of an impact on the story and the way things are structured as well like um there's when you meet um a certain character after you've beaten the first major boss of the game there's kind of like a a twist to it and you and you meet a new character and he has a cup that's uh, basically a reference to the office <laughs> with where uh, <laughs> michael scott has that cup that's a, a mug that says a uh, world's best boss or something like that on it and uh, that was just like I just threw that in for fun and it just turned out quite nicely. And there's quite a few little pop culture type references like that in it as well. Um, but the the death screen, when you die, it has this kind of really stylish sort of uh, cut out of the screen where it says the word death. Like it sure does. It yeah. sure does. Boy, have I I'm seen sure that. <laughs> you've seen that a few times, right? <laughs> but um, that's, awesome. uh, that's, that's kind of inspired from the intro to the show Preacher, which is based on a comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, and they the intro to that has a similar thing where it comes up with the the title of the show in this like kind of black screen with the with it like cut out for the for the background coming through and uh, like uh, another thing actually is that the character pothead was also semi inspired i mean everyone gets the the reference to the onion knight from dark souls but it's also kind of the original seed of an idea was kind of from our space from uh, preacher which is a character who whose head is just a, an ass a butt a butt but um, just like someone who's cursed with this affliction of being like weirdly grotesque, but like is also like a really like cool guy or something. So yeah, mm. there's a lot of different inspirations from like media all over the place that we've taken to it. Brilliant, brilliant. You started with an office reference and took us deeper there. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, let's shift to sound design a little bit. Uh, this question comes from uh, NXS Kevin, and he says. I would love to know about the process creating the soundtrack. The music was incredible. It was haunting, melancholy, beautiful, and ethereal. I would love to know how the music was created and what kind of collaboration went into it. Um, so I think one key approach for us is that we started music really early on. We had um, we we locked in a few of the main themes before really we even started um development and we did a full kind of um prototype demo of the game in the first few months of development where i don't know if i used all the music from that but i that was where we were exploring the the distinctive mood that the world had so music was kind of part of the world from very early on and then from there, I think this time around, what I wanted to do was really um, dig into that mood and have make a soundtrack where you can tell that every track is a death's door track rather than just you know a compilation of vaguely fitting 
um, video game music. Like it, it, even though the mood does change between, you know, various intensities and sometimes a little bit more sentimental, sometimes a little bit more dark, everything should be a little bit more grounded in the atmosphere of this world. Um, and then on top of that, then I think we do try and have fun with music as well in the same way that we have talked about some of the details we've had in other areas of the games of the game. So um, there's the uh, inner furnace level where the pistons are moving up and down and mm -hmm. we decided to make them almost a part of the music where they're moving to the beat and you get kind of on the offbeat, you get the scraping sound and then on the beat, you get the slamming sound and that kind of enhances the music like that. And then there's some kind of um, similar ideas that we do for one of the boss fights as well, the Frog King. Um, we did this semi-adaptive track that changes drastically from this really silly, almost like dubstep-inspired beat at the start. And then because the fight has two phases, it does this transition into a way more epic, more kind of like Godzilla or Shadow of the Colossus style orchestral track. So we just, we had a lot of fun whenever we thought of something that would be unique and a bit unexpected, but hopefully everything also does feel grounded and like a journey. And that's the, the amount of thought that goes into that. I, I just intensely appreciate. One of the things that stood out to me was uh, the music that would take place in the various eulogies. Now, I won't say too much for listeners, but I will say that after you take down uh, major bosses in the game, a eulogy is offered, and it's this this contemplative moment. And the music there felt felt just a stark contrast to the combat, and yet very distinctly, as you said, Death's Door. That's good then. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, definitely the desired effect. That that actually was a really early piece as well. I think I created that piece when we were doing the initial prototype, and that I think I think that, like you said, that is quite a death store piece because it is it does have an atmosphere to it, and it is sad, but it almost it almost isn't it isn't really morbidly sad. It almost has mm -hmm. a bit of lightness to it towards the end as well, which. Mm -hmm. Because the game isn't, the game doesn't really get too negative about death in some ways. It's true. Given uh, again, no spoilers, but but the person giving the eulogy, it's hard to take overly seriously. <laughs> uh, yeah, all things considered, um, gents, this is a. I, I always find this to be a fascinating question here. Uh, certainly, since the critical reviews have come out, that has to be a surreal feeling to see so many people raving about your product. Um, but walk me through your discovery of that reception of, of finding out that people loved this game. Did you read reviews? Were you watching them? Uh, how did you guys find out how people felt about Death Store? I think probably between me and David, we probably read everything anyone's ever written about it. <laughs> like we, when the uh, kind of reviews went live, it was the same time that the game actually launched. So it was a really super nerve wracking moment because like you've worked on this thing for like three or four years and like, it all comes down to this one moment where you find out, is it good? Like you have your instincts and think like, oh, we did the best job we could, but you, you just don't know how it's going to be received. So when it came out and it got like really good reviews straight off the bat, we we had like our PR people were like sending us like links to all the reviews and our Slack chat and stuff. And we were just like going through them and 
like everything came out in one batch and we just didn't really have time to read them we were just like getting the numbers out and we were just uh, kind of blown away by it and uh since then just all the all the love that people are pouring out on twitter and stuff is amazing because uh yeah, just I wasn't really expecting it to be this well received and liked, and I keep getting messages on Twitter all the time, just saying that they really love the game and people have hundred percent it and everything, and it's kind of mind blowing, really. I guess in the days after the game's done, Devolver's messaging you. You're reading these reviews. I mean, are you doing celebratory meals? Are you just sitting back? Are you thinking about the next thing? Like, how do you co- collect yourselves a- after? Three, four years of work. I think well, one good good tip for anyone releasing a game is to do your celebration before the game actually launches. Because when <laughs> the game launches, you'll inevitably you you won't want to be drunk or hungover in any way when that happens because there will be a few bug fixes to to sort out out the gate. So we we had kind of done a, a bit of a celebration uh, a couple of days before launch. And we like I was I was just re- I was just kind of like sat at home, just ready to find out, ready to just see what happened. Um, it, it it was quite an understated day, I think. Um, just yeah, just sitting around and seeing how things went. And for and me, after- it's just been like <laughs> the past week has just been me fixing any bugs and trying to solve issues and stuff, and answering support emails all the time. So I haven't really had a break yet. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. All right, so so we need to find a way to get you in there with the break at some point. Uh, which yeah, it's starting to calm down a bit now. It's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Uh, an interesting one that crossed my mind is that Death Store is an Xbox and PC exclusive. And uh, being an Xbox show, of course, that's wonderful for our audience. But how did you land on Death Store being an Xbox exclusive versus perhaps porting it to uh, other consoles, other systems? Uh, was it did xbox approach you talk to me about that process if you're able well slightly boring answer on that one because we kind of um this is one of the reasons why we like to work with devolver because they would sort out all of this kind of stuff for us Mm -hmm. um but um like one thing is as an indie you generally do want to have the support of a major platform to help you just get noticed and um just to give you support to get the game out of the door. So yeah, it, I think Xbox just really were the most uh, keen on the game. So it ended up being like a natural choice to work with Xbox. And they do have quite a good indie lineup this year in general as well. So it's just been cool to be a part of that. Uh, I'm curious. We had a lot of people ping us with questions about Game Pass. Is that something that went through your mind? I think I think it's an unfair question, but now anytime someone whispers the word Xbox, Game Pass comes to mind. Was that a factor for you guys in any way, shape, or form? Uh, no, we... Um, yeah, it, it was always just going to be a, an Xbox exclusive as opposed to a, a Game Pass day one kind of deal. Gotcha. Fair enough. Uh, One listener, Dash Revolver, he says, you guys have expanded on so many areas such as art, exploration, and combat from your last game, Titan Souls. Was the direction of this game always as ambitious as it was, or did you guys get bigger ideas that layered over time? We probably started out like too big and had to reel things back in. That's the that's the classic way that things go. Yeah. As, as you, yeah, as you go along, you just realize that we wait, we don't have the time to do all these things. That said, we did manage to squeeze in like a lot more like small little things that that make the game 
better like, that you probably thought we like you would have thought we should cut like earlier on like the whole sign thing and the little forest spirits to follow you around and stuff these, these are all kind of like little ideas that we wanted to have in but kind of in the back of our heads thought i don't know this is this is going to make it in or not but luckily they did but yeah i think we initially start with these bigger grander ideas and like like wanted to have 20 bosses in and like all these different levels and stuff but as time goes on you need to kind of pull back from that and just get in the things that are going to make the game the best it can be whilst keeping it all in a time scale that isn't going to be like you know 10 years of your life or something <laughs> yeah but i would say from from day one of this game or even from as soon as we started figuring out what to do next after titan souls and telepaint we did always we did always want it to be something that you know we would call a proper game rather than <laughs> like titan souls was very much like a stripped back minimalist like of like we're still obviously very indie but titan souls was a, we would see as more of like a an indie game so mm -hmm. i would say that the the ambition was certainly there um from the very start yeah well, that brings me to Eric's question. Eric Jackson wrote in congratulating you guys on Death's Door and all the praise it's deservedly getting. But he's curious if there are post-launch plans or a DLC, a new game plus, difficulty modes. I think we talked about the Umbrella uh, as a difficulty <laughs> mode into itself. But is that something you guys want to explore or are you, are you pleased and just leaving it be? I think um, we we definitely like we launched the game being the complete package that we wanted it to be. It's not something where we specifically launched it having like, okay, and then in three months we'll add this expansion or anything like that. But I think we're kind of having those questions internally now um, for what's next for us. It's not something that we really have a solid plan for, but it's certainly something that we're willing to hear uh, suggestions and feedback about. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think uh, that's going to bring us to just about the close of our interview, guys. Uh, I want to to ask you guys one last thing, and that is, uh, what is it do, that you want to do next? We talk, you know, the question of, of DLC and what whatnot is its own thing, but is it is it something you guys want to do to make a, an entirely new project? Do you have things on your mind on the drawing board? Do you want to just catch your breath? What are you guys looking <laughs> to now? I think that's a very good question with a very boring answer, which is that I just have no idea. Like, <laughs> it's so hard to know. It's so hard to know what to do straight after. I think the. I think for one thing, I think one of the reasons that this game has turned out so well is that we did take a long time to decide what we wanted to do, and we mm -hmm. waited until we really knew before we, um, before we like embarked on this one. And while I don't think we're gonna, I think there's no chance that we'll wait that long again. Um, I still think that, yeah, we probably will want to take a breather and think about what would be the most exciting thing to do next. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if Mark might have a more interesting answer for you. No, I'm, I'm just, I'm as boring as you. I just, uh, I'll yeah. take a bit of a break maybe. And then just the next few weeks and months will be spent just kind of supporting the game. Um, just making sure we can get like any, any little bugs patched out and, you know, maybe any optimizations and stuff that we need to do just the usual kind of post-launch support, basically. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that the process isn't one that you feel pressure for because uh, Death Door is an absolute treat. I, I checked my numbers before we did the interview. 
Uh, I'm 49.7% complete listeners and I've been playing for almost eight hours and I've seen that, uh, that others are doing it much faster. So either I'm not so great, uh, or whatnot, but I'm just enjoying this world immensely. And, uh, gentlemen, I can't thank you enough for creating it for the work that you guys are doing in games. Uh, if you would please let people know where they can find death store, where they can find you guys on social media, uh, and anything else you'd like to point them to. Sure. So we have a website that is Play Death Store, which uh, has all the info you need about the game. Um, you can also follow our studio on at Acid Nerve on Twitter, uh, where we'll post any major updates and announcements there. And then um, you can follow me uh, on at Auto Twitch on Twitter as well. I guess I'll throw mine in there since you did your personal one. But uh, yeah, you can follow me at Aquahammer <laughs> Mark uh, on Twitter as well. But Acid Nerve is the main one to follow, really. Yeah. Well, Mark Foster, David Finn, d- developers of Death Store, thank you guys for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, thanks very much for having us. us.